Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Pragmatic Investor. My guest today is Mike Fay, a recurring guest on the podcast and always a pleasure to talk to. Now, we began today by talking about the recent developments in the Ripple case and how this has affected the crypto market in general. We then moved on to talk about gold, and Mike has recently talked about gold on Seeking Alpha, written a very interesting article about gold and the idea that the BRICS are going to be soon launching a gold-backed currency and how this is going to affect things both you know, for gold and, of course, geopolitically. In our last conversation, we talked about that upcoming recession. This hasn't quite materialized, of course, for various reasons. And today we talked a little bit about why this is the case and what we expect going forward. I always really enjoy talking to Mike. Uh, he's incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to these kinds of topics. And if you haven't already, go ahead and follow him on Seeking Alpha and Twitter, Mike Fay, and also on Substack, where he writes under the name The Heretic Speculator. As always, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Jump straight into this. Now, you had an article on Seeking Alpha recently called Ripple Ruling. Coinbase might be the biggest winner. So for everyone listening, if you wouldn't mind, could you just break down a little bit what's been happening uh, with Ripple and how this is affecting kind of the, the crypto space, especially when it comes to Coinbase and altcoins? Yeah, sure. So essentially, Ripple was sued by the SEC several years ago. Um, you know, Ripple was developed by a company called Ripple Labs. And so there's kind of like a confusion about what is what, you know, Ripple Ledger, Ripple Labs, XRP, the actual token. Um, it can get kind of obfuscated and everything. Long story short, you know, they're in court and it goes on for a long time. And this judge recently ruled that XRP, the coin, is considered an unregistered security when it's sold to an investor privately or a venture capitalist. However, on secondary, mm -hmm. when it goes through an exchange with programmatic sales, she ruled that those are not securities. Um, and so this kind of creates a situation where, all right, now if Ripple's not a security when it's sold through an exchange from you know a programmatic selling uh, perspective, that kind of means that all these other tokens that the SEC has stated to be unregistered securities as well, probably are not under that same framework. You know, the question then is, is that framework correct? Does the SEC mm -hmm. appeal? You know, how far does it go? Uh, you know, after appellate court, if it doesn't go their way, does it go to Supreme Court? These are all just guesses. But as of now, the precedent that has been set by this judge is that XRP sold on exchange is not a security when it's sold to a retail investor. The purpose, the reason for that decision is because the investor is not actually buying and that money is not going to Ripple Labs or it's not going to a centralized right. entity. It's going to a separate purchaser or buy, uh, seller, excuse me. We'll see, you know, if it, if that is the way that it mm -hmm. goes. And I think that you could make a very compelling case for that being a legitimate uh, perspective. Then the SEC's lawsuit against Coinbase kind of falls apart because it, Coinbase didn't do any ICOs. Uh, none of the mm -hmm. coins that they sold uh, were, you know, from 
were through some venture, uh, you know, method. It was all secondary sales. So it's interesting. I think it's actually very good for Coinbase. And I, I think that, you know, we'll see how it goes from a precedent standpoint and if it's, you know, appealed and if there's a dissenting right. view, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, obviously, but I guess the idea is that, like you said, this can set a precedent, but it's not the end all. It's not a definitive answer, right? Because we, we could still get the SEC appealing or right. then different rules being applied even to different coins, perhaps. I, and I think that that's probably the most likely outcome because you have a lot. I think where the regulators are going to be able to make some pretty strong cases for a lot of these things actually being securities is when it comes to staking. Um, mm -hmm. But and staking as a, as a service, I'm not saying that it's right or wrong, but I'm saying that I do think that they will find uh, maybe more success in that. If you use a token for a utility, for a gas payment, for uh, as some sort of instrument within the protocol itself, to me, it's more of a commodity or a synthetic mm -hmm. commodity. Um, you know, but when you get into the, the thing where it just exists to be a governance token, then it's a lot more like an equity in my view. Right, of course. And now, of course, this is also very good for Coinbase because obviously Coinbase was also involved. Uh, the SEC sued Coinbase for the sale of unregistered securities. And, you know, this this is kind of saying, well, you know, maybe that's actually okay. So investors shouldn't be so worried about that. Now, you did write that article. You didn't actually have a bullish outlook on Coinbase. Is that correct then? I mean, how do you feel about Coinbase moving forward because we we did see the stock. I mean, the stock has gone up. I think close to hundred percent in the last in the last month. How do you feel about the outlook for Coinbase in particular? It's interesting, and it depends on if they can grow a subscription service or not. Mm. And you know, you look at their revenue breakdown and their margin on institutional purchases is super low compared to their margin on retail. And so, if right. retail doesn't come back and start mm -hmm. buying through Coinbase, there's a problem potentially with Coinbase because they don't, what they don't want is more institutional money coming in at a super low margin because that's just not good. If they can get subscription revenue up, but some of that comes from, uh, from the staking services, a lot of it come, other uh, instances of it is from the treasuries as well. You know, they get yield on USDC because USDC, the collateral backing that is U.S. treasuries. So right. if rates come down, that's another way that Coinbase's revenue story sorts, sort of starts to fall apart. Mm -hmm. I like Coinbase as a customer. <laughs> I just don't know that <laughs> I like the stock. <laughs> you know, there is a right, distinction yeah. between the two. Um, and and mm -hmm. I also think that, you know, we can see through three years of data that the move for traders is going towards DEXs, not away DEXs. So mm, I think that's right. why you're seeing Coinbase, you know, trying to implement layer two scaling solutions for the company to survive long term. If we're going to have an on-chain future, which is what I think a lot of crypto advocates, myself included, actually want, mm -hmm. centralized businesses are going to have to adapt. And so I think there's a lot up in the air on Coinbase. I wouldn't short it because there's just a... There's a retail component to it. There's a crypto component to it, a hype component. The thing could move against you bad if you short it. Um, but I also, like I said in the article, the main takeaway was, I don't know that I'm chasing it at 105. I'm on the mm -hmm. sidelines and I'm perfectly happy with that position. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, when I was looking at it, you know, I was looking actually at a, at a kind of from a DCF valuation standpoint, I was looking at, well, you know, if you look at all the revenues it was making before, the margins, you know, if it could just go back to those margins, you'd, you know, you'd think the stock is very undervalued. But of course, as has been pointed out by others, how, you know, how can those margins come back really when, like you say, you have all that move away from centralized exchanges and basically a lot of competition as well because you know coinbase has i mean it has to compete with a lot of other exchanges and you know it can't just i mean the um the fees aren't very high but they're they're substantial i mean they've come down but you know they're still substantial you have to wonder how much how much they can keep profiting from from uh retailers retail right yeah i mean it sort of becomes there's a potential for a race to the bottom in fees isn't there because if people are right. moving assets off platform and are doing these swaps themselves um, you have to entice these these participants to keep their assets with you so that you can process those transactions and get whatever small uh, vig hmm. off the top that you can get. And I just, you know, I think their model is going to change over time. Right. That's, yeah, it, it's going to have to, of course. Now, with the uh, uh, ruling of the XRP case, we did see a lot of the altcoins kind of, you know, liven up a little bit. And, you know, the altcoin market is something that's been a bit, a little bit uh, dead lately, let's say. Of course, we've seen Bitcoin <laughs> really make a comeback. Uh, yeah. Ethereum to an extent. Um, select altcoins. I mean, you know, altcoins are altcoins, right? Some of them are still up 100, 200%. But in general, you're seeing some kind of, a lot of the people kind of a bit a bit less bullish on outcoins you know is this a contrarian signal maybe maybe now's the time i think you have to be selective um you know i think we see every cycle that altcoins kind of moon together um mm -hmm. and then the ones that are actually somewhat better than the total junk um that while they may not outperform bitcoin over time they they can at least hold some of their value uh, through cycle to cycle. So again, you just got to be selective. I like certain things. There are others that I don't. Um, and I think that we're also seeing kind of some of the, the question, not the questionable networks, but we're seeing some of the layer one scaling chains, uh, the alt chains, specifically the ones that were called securities by the SEC. They're having a lot of mm -hmm. problems. Um, Algorand specifically, and I'll disclose that I, I own Algo. I liked this idea. I think, you know, it's, it's a quote Gary Gensler. It's good tech. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that, that network has really struggled since the SEC uh, designated it an unregistered security. You saw their top DeFi protocol just essentially right. go under within the last mm -hmm. couple of weeks. There was a wallet hack uh, on one of their primary wallets uh, earlier in the year. It's been bad news after bad news after bad news for Algorand, mm. and yet it has some of the most interesting applications that are built on it that a lot of people don't really notice. There's not a lot of hype. You know, Algo, again, I'm long and I'm disclosing that. I think Algo is a, uh, a very contrarian play that might make some sense. Uh, others, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you have to use your own judgment. Um, you know, I... I I think it varies chain to chain. Uh, Avalanche looks really interesting to me now. Um, Solana, I don't, I, I hold AVEX. I don't hold Sol, but Solana, you know, kind of left for dead there after FTX, but it's right back above 25 bucks a coin again. Um, mm -hmm. You know, 
You, yeah, you just have true. to kind of be patient with some mm-hmm. of this stuff. And and if you're, you know, you have to know what your process is when you're looking at altcoins. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, some of these things are probably securities. Some of them are, I think, commodities. And, you know, if, if it's a commodity, how is it used? How is it used in the network? How is it used in specific protocols? And, uh, you know, then if you can figure out how it's used, how do you value it? And, and, and you just have to have a long-term viewpoint um, and you have to have a legitimate process. Um, you can't just ape into garbage. Um, right. It, it works for a short time, but it doesn't work for the long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, de- and definitely maybe, of course, with the kind of uh, you know, more macro environment, of course, you know, with with all the uh, QE and 0% interest, you know, maybe back then, you know, it was it was all right, you know, everything everything was going up but that that's certainly not the case now and it's probably going to be a lot harder going forward um i will say i actually talked about algo with my subscribers and i actually sold out my position um kind of based on all that happened yeah Yeah. it was a small position but yeah i kind of sold out from that uh also based on the chart a little bit it just you know the chart was i got all messed up you know as you know i do a lot of technical analysis as well yeah yeah but the chart looks terrible the chart looks terrible and and the fundamental story looks terrible Right. <laughs> so, you know, who who could blame you, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, again, that was not to, you know, that was to raise cash for other investments. And actually, I'm looking at now basically picking up a little bit more of a XRP, which, on the other hand, has received a lot of a uh, chart looks a lot better. And the fundamental news is great. Not only you know on the um, on the front of the SEC, but I think we've received some very interesting news. For example, I don't know if you saw the Bank of Japan is going to be using XRP. To be to settle transactions. I don't know if you read about that. Very. I didn't see that. That's interesting. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I don't know. What are, What are your thoughts on on XRP? Because we've seen it kind of blow up quite a bit in the last few weeks. Uh, any Any thoughts fundamentally on the on the long term outlook? You know, I XRP is one that I've generally avoided. Um, mm-hmm. I have not necessarily liked the. Um, what I've feared to be a centralization concern right. uh, from it. Yeah. There's, you know, mm-hmm. I think whale holdings are something that you have to always be very cognizant of when it comes to uh, all of these things. And, you know, XRP, I've, I've used it. I've tried it out. Uh, Cause I tried out a lot of these things before, you know, I write about them or analyze them. Um, and one of the things that I, I don't know why, but it just rubbed me the wrong way as a user is that, you have to have a minimum wallet balance. And I just didn't care for that. And I felt mm. like if I don't like this, I don't think other people are going to like this either. And so I questioned the potential adoption at the user level. Uh, right. Because why do I put in, why do I have to put in these XRP that I then can't get back out? <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's a, that's a silly thing. Um, but it's just, mm-hmm. I've always tried to view things through the eyes of the end user and if it makes sense to the end user, then I think it makes sense to look at it. XRP for me, just that was a sticking point. And when you factor in the centralization concern as well, I just haven't looked into it uh, since. So I'll revisit it, but I can't really mm-hmm. give you a, you know, a, a yay or nay on it personally. I don't know enough about it. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of feel the same at this point. I mean, I'm not... I've talked about XRP you know, a long time ago. I'm not really sure why the Bank of Japan is, you know, doing this with XRP. Why they're picking XRP exactly, or 
So again, I, I'm not exactly sure. I just know that you know it, it sounds good. That's that's so the, that's something. The swaps but, are they're very fast. Transact the right. fast transaction is a is a huge thing. Um, mm -hmm. You know when you when you mess around with these things and you you play with them, you can see such an obvious difference between things like you know Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum, and then like Stellar or XRP. Uh, or Dash mm -hmm. is also very fast, um, right? So that's another thing that goes into the usability, though, and the you know the end user. Mm -hmm. Do they care about uh, you know minimum balances, or do they care about transaction speeds and and having things settle, you know, at that time at point of sale? Right. Exactly. Well, that's that's that trilemma, isn't it? I mean, you you can't quite have it all in, in crypto. It seems at least at least not yet. Yeah, now, I mean, you can't oh, really have it all in anything, so. <laughs> uh, I wanted to uh, change pace a little bit and talk a little bit about gold as well, because you also wrote a very interesting article recently on gold, uh, talking a bit about this idea, the BRICS nations, of course, coming out and, um, you know, coming out with basically what could be a, defined as a gold-backed currency. Is that right? It looks that way, so... Uh, earlier this month, or maybe it was at the end of June, I can't remember, uh, the R Russia Today put out a story that the BRICS nations, which is Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, uh, and a few others who are also in the coalition as well, uh, those are the main ones though, they mm -hmm. are having BRICS summit in August, and it is anticipated that at that summit they will announce a gold-backed currency. Um, I take the view that this is something that has been probably in the works for quite some time. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it's a very strong move towards at least at minimum fracturing bricks from mm -hmm. kind of the G7, right? Mm -hmm. um, and challenging dollar dominance to a certain degree. And the mm -hmm. reason why I view that is because if you look at two things over the last 10 to 15 years, really since the financial crisis, you've seen China, you've seen Russia, you've seen India, and now more recently Brazil increasing their gold reserves. China mm -hmm. specifically hasn't really added many U.S. treasuries to their, to their FX reserves Russia's basically, they're all gone. And they even before right. they went into Ukraine, they had been selling them off for several years. Mm -hmm. So when you look at that trend of both adding gold, minimizing exposure to, to foreign reserves, and then having this partnership together now where you have manufacturing in China, you have oil production, you know, and energy production in Russia, um, you have the ability, if you have an actual strong coalition of these countries, you have an ability to break off from the Western world to a degree and start your own thing and mm -hmm. stop using dollars. And to me, this is not something that's going to happen overnight, but what makes it viable is that, <clears throat> excuse me, when you adjust GDP uh, for purchasing price parity, the BRICS nations are now actually have a larger share of GDP than the G7. Mm -hmm. So they're a very important component of the global economy 
and they can certainly if anyone can do this they have a shot right and so i mm-hmm. I, I think it's really interesting i think it makes gold a very important asset for global monetary purposes uh and i mm-hmm. think that you know i think that people should have gold i'll just leave right. it at that <laughs> i mean that's that's not news to anyone who's uh who's heard us talk before i think you know it's, right it's pretty right. obvious where, where we stand and you know, kind of the old you know the old story right i mean you have um obviously the dollar being the world reserve currency and people you know turning around you know quite fairly saying oh what are you going to do are you going to you know start using the brazilian real or the 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 chinese yuan well of course you're not but and you know it's pretty clear that you can use gold and that's kind of what what they're offering you know and if the brics offer offer gold backed currency then you know i think the some people might be quite happy about that right I think so. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you know, other things to note is that gold is one of the few things that's truly permissionless. Um, there, mm-hmm. as an element uh, in nature, it is one of the, it is the closest thing to perfect we have. It doesn't tarnish. It doesn't erode. It, st- it has stood the test of time. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Peer to peer, when you're have when you have close physical proximity, um, it's there's no liability. You know you don't have to. You can hand it to somebody else in exchange for a good or service. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there are other everything else that has been built to challenge gold has some major flaw. For instance, fiat currency. I don't even think we need to get into it. It's pretty obvious. Uh, right. But you've got a central issuer and manager that controls the supply uh, and to a degree also the yield that you can return on, you know, staking it, <laughs> uh, hmm. to use a crypto term. But, uh, yeah, I just, I, I feel, and even Bitcoin, you know, cryptos, you need electricity. Um, right. There is no perfect even gold's right. not perfect, but it's yeah, it's close. close. It's close. Mm-hmm. It works. The thing is, is they, these things work so well together, <laughs> right? Um, you know, you don't want to have a centrally. I, I don't like the idea of Paxos Global having you know gold reserves and relying on a third party per se. Mm-hmm. But it's not terrible if you choose to go that route. I like Bitcoin better than that. Because you don't mm-hmm. need it to rely on a custodian. You just have to pay to use the network, right? Right. Yeah, of course, that, that makes sense. You know, it's kind of that you know, classic kind of push-pull between, you know, centralization and not centralization, you know, kind of freedom, not freedom, you know, kind of, right. all right, let's create, let's create a government, but we'll have this document that, you know, says that you can't do this and like, oh, well, let's create currency and kind of, Get we all get in debt with each other, but the gold kind of at least used to stand as well. You know, the, the backstop for everything, which obviously hasn't right. been the case for a long time. But you know, it seems and, like I think you you eventually need it, right? And I I think when you look at gold too, and this is not something that I covered in the article, but it, it's been well covered on Seeking Alpha and other places, is that mm-hmm. we don't really know how many claims there are on the same right. gold bar, mm-hmm. and and I think that that's one area where Bitcoin is actually a lot better than gold. And it's probably because we don't have that 
you know, total TradFi uh, adoption yet. You know, but with gold, mm -hmm. you have investment demand through ETF flows. You have central bank holdings. Uh, you have the ability to kind of, you know, mm -hmm. put put a ceiling on it uh, if you want right. to, because you can lend it out, uh, and there aren't great ways to to check against that. Be but because Bitcoin is open and you can see mm -hmm. where everything is going on the blockchain, you know, it's much easier mm -hmm. to call someone's right. bluff. Right. Yeah. That that's that's true. That makes sense. I mean, ultimately, you know, people are gonna lend money or not lend money. I mean, you can't really control that. I mean, that's that's just a free market. But I think you know the the ultimate thing about gold, right, is you have that vehicle where at the end of the day you say, okay, you know, if if it gets out of hand, you say, let's stop this madness. You know, where's the gold yeah. actually? You know, give yeah, give me yeah, the gold, right? Me. You show it to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and, and that the the beautiful thing is that they work so well together. You know, if if you're mm -hmm. uh, someone who is kind of short the establishment then you right. hold physical gold you keep it with you you don't tell anybody that you have it and then it's there if you need it and then for anything cross-border or online you've got bitcoin mm -hmm. or something like bitcoin you know they're complementary and and i think that you know getting into the whole like tribal camp situation is just not helpful um because right. these things do work so well together um mm -hmm. but you know we're human <laughs> <laughs> now, so because I've seen these valuations before, so in terms of gold, then uh, with like let's say the idea that you know it could basically become you know um, you know the the reserve for a for a new kind of a currency, is there any kind of valuation method you you use there? We think well, that means that gold should actually worth be worth this much today or something like that. I mean, I think the classic one is you know money supply, right? So like if you right, have like yeah. a like a forty percent reserve ratio or something close to that, I think mm -hmm. is uh, one way that people have looked at it. And then if if you look at it that way and you reprice it based on you know currency supply, then the price should be probably a couple multiples from where it is right now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think that with gold specifically, and maybe to a larger degree silver. Um, mm -hmm. You just kind of have to play the cycle um, and play the sentiment, and you know it. The, the old adage is when the <laughs> when the cab driver or when the Uber driver is right. is talking about it, you know it's probably close to time to get out. Mm -hmm. And when I say right. get out, I don't mean like sell your physical gold. I I don't sell my physical gold. I've held it for years. Um, mm -hmm. But when you take on exposure through other ways, like Sprat funds or like GLD, or if you want to get really crazy, the miners, <laughs> uh, nice. which can move, you know, five to 10 X or more in a, in a legitimate cycle, sometimes mm -hmm. a lot more. Um, you know, those are the ways that, uh, you know, I think you take profit in the thesis. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And when you talk about sentiment, that's also something that, you know, I notice with uh, gold, for example, being near all-time highs. I mean, it's come down a bit. It's still kind of nearing that level, though. And you're not really seeing too much bullishness, which, you know, kind of makes me think that, you know, it's we're actually just at the beginning of something something much larger, you know? I agree. Kind of... I mean, from, from, from what I've seen, sentiment in, in the metal is pretty bad. Um I think that 
you got really close to breaking out above, you know, 21,000 USD or 20, excuse me, 2100 USD a couple months ago and people got really excited and then the rug came out from under people again and, you know, it ended up back <laughs> down a couple hundred bucks per ounce. Um, you know, people are really tired of that of that ceiling kind of being the ceiling. And when, when that happens over a long period of time, as it has, you know, people just get impatient, they get down and I like watching that. You know, honestly, I, mm-hmm. I feel bad for people's, you know, mental, uh, state, but when you keep hitting that ceiling and then you keep coming down and making a higher low, eventually the ceiling is going to blow. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's this year, I don't know if it's next year, but, it's going to yeah. happen. Absolutely, I think. And from a technical perspective, I've been talking about. You know, I think that at this point now, we may have actually hit the. We may actually now be ready to to really break through in gold, silver. Also, I'm I'm very bullish on. I don't know what your what your thoughts are on silver. Do you see it as kind of the same, like in that monetary sense as gold? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, totally. I I, I really mm. like silver. Um, I get excited when I pay somebody in cash because if they give me quarters back, I look at the year and I'm like, did I get any silver today? No, I didn't because <laughs> silver, silver has been a monetary instrument, um, right. you know, in, in most countries and you go back far enough and the coin, the coinage is silver. Um, so anyone who tells you that silver is not a monetary instrument, I disagree. I think it is. And I think that it's great to have it. Um, it obviously is volatile because in addition to being a monetary asset, it's also an industrial asset. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's also a potential bull case there. I'm not an expert in you know, energy or, or solar, but from right. what I read, there's a, there's a component to that that, that mm-hmm. might make yeah, some sense. Absolutely. Um, so I think solar's, or excuse me, I think silver's great. And uh, I think it's it's wise to have both. Um, silver probably upshoots, and in the way that I've played it in the past, what has worked well for me is when I think we're at the beginning of a cycle, uh, I go heavier silver, and then when I think we're at the end of a cycle, I rotate that silver mm-hmm. into gold. Mm-hmm. Right. Interesting. Now, hopefully, you know, ten, twenty years from now, we'll. We'll all be living in this in this nice world where gold and silver are back at the center. Not what we have right now, of course. We're we're still tied up in the um, the world of the Federal Reserve and and all that good <laughs> stuff. So I wanted to talk a little bit about about the about the macro outlook because I remember I believe last time we talked, I don't know if that was like fourth five months ago, I think more towards the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. where the consensus still was kind of that you know that that very anticipated recession. Which yeah. you know, hasn't hasn't quite come yet, and of course we've seen a massive rally in in stocks, at least certain stocks. Although, although you know, every day more more stocks seem to be joining the party. I've said before that you know the yeah. the 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 uh, bears of the uh, oh, there's no breath to this uh, kind of a quieting down in the last few weeks. Um, yeah, what are what are your thoughts on the on the macro? I mean, we've we've had the you know fastest high rates in history, and you know, the economy hasn't broken. You know, maybe. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe the Fed doesn't need gold. Maybe they they've really figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, it you know, this is a this is a sore subject for me because I just um, I just put on a short position 
uh, a couple hundred SMP points ago, and I'm I'm getting beaten up pretty good on that position. Um, which the reason why I put that position on is because I think that all this is nuts. Um, <laughs> I I think that we're way ahead of ourselves. Um, but the thing is, is you know, value valuations it just hasn't worked for like mm -hmm. over a decade. So like, why would right. it suddenly work now? You know, mm -hmm. um, I have tried to look more at kind of like the underlying economy more so than valuation multiples um, for my bear thesis. And to me, it just makes the most sense that if the, if the economy is, is ready to, decline as I think it is, then stocks mm -hmm. go down. And if right. stocks don't go down in that environment, it's because the Fed pivoted. And if the mm -hmm. Fed pivoted, I just like gold and Bitcoin better than stocks. Okay. Right? So hmm. for me, it makes sense to, rather than chasing equities here at valuation multiples that are ridiculous, if we care mm -hmm. about those things, I think gold and Bitcoin are a better way to emphasize or ex express the money printer trade. And in the meantime, I'm going to short the actual equity market as a hedge, if I'm wrong, um, about, you know, the, uh, the printer getting turned on. Mm -hmm. Because I look at, you have initial claims are starting to go up. You have home prices that are still highly, highly elevated at, you know, ridiculous levels. Meanwhile, the average mortgage rate is for a 30 year fixed is like mm -hmm. seven and change. Right. Um, on top of that. So, you, so you're already going to have, you know, slowing in housing, which is not good. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have, you have labor potentially slow the labor uh market people are now having to like go back to work again and i think that they're realizing that you know we had a couple of a year maybe of like stimmies and you saw that mm -hmm. glut of savings ramp up and it allowed people to not have to you know go back to work after covid but if you look at all this stuff now you mm -hmm. have savings rates that have actually plummeted and they're at like they're really low. They're like well right. below where they were uh, heading into lockdowns. So people can't save money. Revolving mm -hmm. credit is going up big time. And now on top of that, you have, you know, not a political statement here. I mean, I, like, I really mean that. I'm just looking at it analytically. But later this year, you're going to have student loan forbearance end. So now these kids who have or adults who haven't been paying back their student loans for the last three or four years mm -hmm. are going to suddenly have to start doing that or at least budgeting for it. So, right. so if the consumer is already tapped out and it looks that way based off savings rates and revolving credit mm -hmm. expansion, and they're doing this at high rates, by the way, like mm -hmm. if you have all that and you have a situation where, you know, initial claims are starting to go up, People are realizing, oh, crap, I actually don't have any money and I have to go back to work now. Um, 
Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I don't know. I like. I just. I see a lot of companies, especially in tech, laying people off. Um, mm-hmm. and I just, I can't get there on why equities are roaring, unless it's pricing in more stimulus or more, you know, easing or or something of that nature. In which case, I just think that other things work better. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, no, that that makes good sense. Um, I mean, all the stuff you've said, I think, makes a lot of sense. These things take time to to play out, right? I mean, you talk about the mortgage rates being near seven percent. I put out a chart recently talking about, well, yes, the mortgage rates now are seven percent, but the effective mortgage rate, right? The what people are actually paying oh right now God. is more close to three percent because there's no there's no you know people are basically putting off mortgages, which obviously they can't do indefinitely, you know, but so. But it's going to slowly climb up there, of course, and you know it's the same with all the all the effects from the stimulus. I've I've been looking at some conflicting information though on like how strong the consumer is because I've seen those charts where they say okay, well savings are going to run out, you know, in twenty twenty four or whatever. But then I've also seen people say no, actually, if you look at you know cash as a percentage of assets of households, it's actually near record highs because you know obviously still riding off. Now, the idea being, yes, we've got so much stimulus that, you know, we're still, it's going to take still ages to kind of get down from that. So I, I have been looking at some conflicting information, but it's a, uh, it seems to be heading that way. Yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. But, like, I think about it like, okay, you've got all these uh, millennials and Zoomers who are now, if they're in the market for a home, and they actually can do this, and think about how much more expensive it is to buy a home at seven and a half or at seven than it mm-hmm. is at three and a half. You're talking like for a what's the average home price right now in America? Like forty five thousand dollars. So if you're just talking about the average forty five or four hundred fifty thousand dollars average, the difference between aggregate cost at three and a half and seven is like three hundred thousand dollars. Right. And that goes right. into the payment. So if you're making these people pay this much more just to have shelter, mm-hmm. that money's coming from somewhere. And it's coming from consumer <laughs> spending. It's coming from discretionary. It's coming from, you know, all the 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 other fun stuff that people do. Traveling, tourism, whatever. Um so I just I, I'm not sure that the the real sentiment on the ground is that people have a lot of money. I I just don't I don't buy it. But I'm also mm-hmm. in the Rust Belt, so you know. I, I what, kinda, sorry? I'm in the Rust Belt, so I I see kind of, you know, okay, a, 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 a very depressed area. But it's been that way mm. for a long time. Right. I guess the only kind of wrench in the argument which we've been getting you know the last few months is you know, AI right? Chat GPT is going to save us and. Basically, that's going to, you know, absolutely change the way the fabric of the economy and, I guess, race productivity. You know, it's it's a compelling argument, but I I don't think it makes that much sense personally. I don't know what your thoughts are. Well, I have a love hate relationship with AI. I think you know some of the tools are really fun and it's really interesting. Uh, you know, getting doing prompts and like stable diffusion and getting like you know pictures out is pretty amazing. Um, <laughs> But I just I think that we're discounting like copyright law and and things like that. And, you know, how Mm, does that's true? How does a large company like, uh, you know, 
stable AI or open a- open AI, I think is the other one, or, you know, there's, a, mm-hmm. there's like 10 open really AI. big ones. Yeah, how, how do these companies justify essentially scraping the entire internet for content mm. materials, right. much of which is copyrighted, like this is they valuable that, IP, right. and mm-hmm. then selling it without paying the creator. Like hmm. we're going to, ha- I, I just don't know how regulators and lawmakers are going to sit by and just allow that to happen. I think that there's a pretty big uh, copyright IP hmm. headwind for for AI. And, and I think that, I don't think people are really thinking about that. Yeah. I mean, like, like always, I think people, you know, people get ahead of themselves. It's a bit, I mean, it's just like the internet revolution, I think, to me. You know, you got 1999, everyone's saying, oh, this is going to be great. You know, the internet was great. It just, you know, took another decade, really, to to become as, as great and kind of, you know, entrenched as, as, as people were expecting back in back in the 90s. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... The way I said AI is going to benefit, I mean, I, I do think it's going to benefit some some people. I think big companies basically are going to benefit a lot from this. And, you know, again, it's going to lead to more consolid- consolidation, really, which is kind of what we've been seeing, you know. And I think, you know, maybe some of the, the big companies, the, the Googles and the, the Amazons, you know, they, they might be good traits, you know, in the long yeah, term, thanks to AI. Be. But a lot of other companies, are, you know, might, might be hurt by this. I think, you know, and I, I haven't really thought through my entire AI thesis yet. Um, I'm trying not to get caught up in hype. I don't want to get too excited about certain <laughs> things. Um, but so the way I think AI will go long term um, is task management tools will mm-hmm. be very helpful. Um, when it comes to things like writing like code uh, it'll be where there are like strict rules about how things work. Very helpful. Um, if I was in a role where there's some level of judgment, like human judgment or creativity that's involved or critical thinking that's involved, I think a lot mm-hmm. of those positions are going to be okay for the time being. If I'm in a position right. where there are very strict guidelines and rules and I'm basically just managing workflow in Mm -hmm. some, you know, like accounting, you know, or, uh, you know, things like law, like certain elements of law, even though law Mm -hmm. is very open to interpretation, as we've learned with Ripple. Um, Mm -hmm. But there are certain things that people are still doing that they don't need to do. Um, Right. You know, and I I think I think that AI is going to really help uh, people who are very bright and who think critically manage tasks a lot easier and that may mm-hmm. result in in some potential job losses of people who are you know doing kind of like the mundane stuff um right. you know i came from work a, yeah i came from a media background and uh worked in several departments uh for about 15 years and you know especially in an advertising department i just i see so many jobs in that ad sales area that are just at at serious risk uh because mm-hmm. of ai because they're just mundane and they can be the what they're doing can kind of be abstracted away by some sort of ai tool 
Absolutely. Well, Mike, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, yeah, we've had about three conversations, and I, I really enjoy talking to you every time. Um, you know, before we we say goodbye, uh, please let everyone know what you're doing on the internet, where they can find you, and and why they should find you. I guess. Yeah, well, hey, thanks for having me again. And, you know, I share the same sentiment. Always enjoy talking to you. Um, you know, if you read Seeking Alpha, and I'm, many of you probably do because uh, you're following James, I'm on Seeking Alpha as well. Everything I do is now public, so you can just follow me there, Mike Fay, F-A-Y. Uh, and I also have a Substack that I've uh, been working on for quite some time and uh, I enjoy writing there as well. It's, it's, a, it's investment sort of, but there's a little bit more of a social and cultural component to it as well. That's Faybomb, F-A-Y-B-O-M-B dot substack dot com. Uh, a lot of what I do is free for a couple of weeks and then it gets paywalled. So you should check that out also. Absolutely. Well, there you have it, folks. If you want to get to know Mike a little bit better, follow him on Substack, Twitter, Seeking Alpha, Mike, thank you so much, as always, for coming on. Best of luck with everything. Take care and uh, look forward to the next one. Absolutely. Take care. All right. Bye-bye, everyone.